Hi, this is Gay Hendricks. I really want you to tune in to this edition of the Big Leap Podcast because we explore fear. And fear, not just as a concept, but how you can deal with it in a way that releases more and more of your genius. This is a time where a lot of people are feeling scared and anxious, and I think you'll find some real solutions in this episode. And we deconstruct some of our greatest fears, which include loss of control, going crazy, fear of death, and also the way we react and respond to it, which is flight, fight, freeze, or faint. And our goal is to help you get in your body, overcome your greatest fear, explore what it is, and face it head on. And Gay is going to give you his formula for how he gets out of it, too. All that and a lot more in this episode of The Big Leap. When I came out of the hospital, I looked down at my legs, and they didn't look like my legs, you know? But pretty soon, like, I'm losing my mind and forgetting who I am. And I became, like, I remember licking the linoleum at my grandmother's house when I was crawling. And I've never remembered that before. You know, William James said the schizophrenic is drowning in the same water that the mystic is swimming in. Yeah. My best mechanism for getting connected with and resolving the anxiety is just laying down and meditating. All right, Gay, you've had some really big breakthroughs happening for you, but they're different kinds of breakthroughs, unexpected breakthroughs. I do too, but this whole episode is about stopping the fear and anxiety that block genius from happening. So I'd like to hear, what does that mean to you? What's the interpretation of that? So we start with the proper framing first. Yes, well, everybody I've ever worked with that has an upper limit problem that they're trying to break through, there's fear underneath that. And so anytime you're dealing with personal growth, you need to get to be best friends with fear because it's at the bottom of a lot of things that bother people. And just recently, uh, the reason I think this is a timely topic is, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but a lot of people seem to be having a lot more anxiety and fear. Maybe it's the political sturm und drang that goes on all the time or whatever it mm-hmm. is, but it seems like uh, I hear more people talking about anxiety than ever before. And certainly nowadays, too, there's tremendous number of pills you can take and things you can do for yes. anxiety. We want, to, we want to approach it from a different place. Though. I want people mm-hmm. to understand their fear and be able to deal with it so deeply that they can hotwire around the need for any medications mm-hmm. or anything like that. Because if you really know what fear is about, it's really no big deal. It's just something that you need to take care of. And so I want to talk about what you do to it and with it in order to let your genius break through. Because uh, fear is always the thing that's right in front of you that needs to be cleared up in order mm. to have your genius break through. So yeah. um, that's the general subject. And so I want everybody by the end of our conversation to have a lot more tools about how to deal with anxiety and fear in yourself and other people around you, especially how it relates to upper limits and uh, blocking of genius. So that's the playground. Yeah, I like that. And um, I think one of the things that I'd like to do is an exercise with you today. So I'm going to put on your, have you put on your therapist hat. And um, what I'd love to do is have 
you can share a big anxiety creator and maybe a big win. Um, I'll do the same. And I'd like to hear your interpretation of what you see happening. And let's apply as many big leap principles that are big takeaways for our audience. And I also want to comment on your framing because uh, when you just said lots of people have more fear, more anxiety than ever before, and there's lots of medication. One of the things that I've noticed is I'm really paying attention these days to uh, people's addictions. And I think there are more hidden addictions, at least that I am noticing than ever before. And I talk to a lot of people and I'm surprised at the number of people who are perfectly functional, seemingly functional. But when I have the real, real conversation with them, I'm astonished at how many medications and chemicals they regularly use. And um, I do think this this is anxiety of the times. And maybe it's always been that way in terms of the addictions and the chemical usage, but not to my world at 57. I'm learning a lot more about what people are addicted to that they've hidden from others. Mm -hmm. And the second side of that is, um, and these are like using ketamine. um, They're basically fully functioning alcoholics or uh, tons and tons of marijuana use, especially out here in California. But in most states now, it seems it's just prevalent. You know, you're driving down the highway and constantly smell weed even on the highway you know um and i felt the same thing i was just recently in um i went to sundance for any a longevity event i know i was there i was surprised at how much weed i smelled um in the salt lake area maybe i shouldn't be but i i was and also in colorado which i know it's it's obviously legal but it's just and and minnesota i was just in minnesota not that long ago So I think that there's, um, it is a sign of the times. And I think all this pressure, cancel culture, and there's no question. I just came back from a big health event. It was JJ Virgin's Mindshare event. And the buzz and talk about all the residual um, anxiety, depression, fatigue that the integrative doctors all believe was caused by um, uh, the treatment of the lockdown down disease okay i'm not going to say the word in our uh in our interview here in case we get blocked but um you know there's no question that the general belief is there there are profound effects from the medications and the treatments that were used yes well no question about it um as it happens i've become a recent student of my own anxiety because um our listeners and viewers will remember that I broke my femur uh, this spring and yes. I'm still receiving treatment and in rehab for it. Uh, I'm, uh, I use a walker around the house. I'm making a transition to a cane. But I had never, until I f- had that freak accident and fell and broke my femur, I was not aware that I ever had a fear of falling, but after, yeah. since then, uh, I <laughs> I had to go through, I mean, I would be trucking down the hall on my little walker, and I would be visualizing possible ways I could fall and how to prevent that. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my mind was way out in front trying to practice <laughs> what would happen. And I had never seen that aspect of myself before. Part of it may be due to the fact that I'm 78 years old and mm-hmm. 
one of the major causes of death in people my age is falling down. And uh, maybe I haven't looked up the stats, but uh, certainly major number of people get wounded and die each year from falling down and having complications of surgery mm -hmm. or hitting their heads. Uh, yeah. That was one of the things in the hospital uh, people would come by and ask me, and they must have asked me half a dozen times, when you fell, did you hit your head? And as it happened, wow. I didn't. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so many people were concerned about mm -hmm. the secondary effects mm -hmm. of that. So I've been um, kind of studying in myself what to do about that, because part of it may seem, part of it seems like a, a natural thing to do. My mind would be looking for solutions everywhere. Um, but uh, there's a lot more of it, more fear and anxiety in my body that just relates to physical things than I ever felt before. Just today, for example, I uh, I was um, drive, I, I drive myself now, and I was driving down to Ventura to have the surgeon take some uh, x-rays and give me my 300 mile checkup or whatever it is 12 weeks or 16 weeks or something like that yeah and um but i was just noticing that so many of my thoughts had to do with not making a mistake on the physical level and uh. so i'd like to do that without the fear but maybe the fear is a natural component but as i've as i've kind of been with the fear more uh, it's receding and more like a a heightened awareness, something like that. Um, yeah. So, um, but, uh, you know, it, it's unusual for me to walk around feeling scared because I've done a lot of work on that in my life way back in when I was first discovering the upper limit problem and everything. Every time mm -hmm. there's an upper limit, there's a fear underneath it. So I studied lots of fears and myself and other people I worked with. So I'm really comfortable and knowledgeable about that whole area. But then a big fall when you're 78 awakens a whole new uh, flurry of uh, anxiety. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like to have your mobility taken from you like that when it's out of control. And I know... Um, I've been doing these longevity experiences where we bring folks in for full body scans, brain scans, cancer scans, all that stuff. And and uh, the stats on this are 80% of all adults over the age of 40 have an undiagnosed asymptomatic health condition that will turn into a disease that will most likely cripple or kill you. All right. And when I brought 18 people in, five out of 18, and these are really healthy, active people. One of them had an uh, undiagnosed asymptomatic brain aneurysm that would most likely kill him. A 32-year-old had a chunk of calcium that is the same thing that it's a widow maker, basically, that killed his father and grandfather at 49, completely undetected. And then there were um, uh, four other people in the group that had pretty significant blood issues that two out of them, two out of the four didn't know they were problematic. And that wouldn't show up in a normal medical test. So with that, I always say that, you know, if, if I went to a country club right now, my pitch to them for a longevity program is the best way to create 
client retention is to first keep your clients alive and mobile. Um, <laughs> yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the fear of what that means? So there's not just the fear of falling, but it's what it means. How do you interpret that in your unprocessed, non-therapeutic mind? Like what's the yeah. real, real? Yeah, well, I remember one time early in my training, Fritz Perls, the great psychiatrist that invented Gestalt therapy, he said there are only two really big fears, and that's the fear of dying and the fear of going crazy. Yes. And um, and if you think about it, they're two very different fears. Um, it's not just going crazy, but exploding energy, having your mind feel like it's in fragments, not being able to think straight. Um, and um, my experience of that is that they're both forms of energy that, like the fear of going crazy, is fear of uprushing, outrushing energy, taking you out of your body. And the fear of dying is descending, downward going mm. energy, taking you into space and oblivion. Uh, yeah. Oblivion if you're having a bad day in space if you're having a good day. Um, but uh, yeah, there are two, if you think about it, there are two big, we're like a two-stroke engine. One stroke goes inwards and the next stroke goes outwards. And so mm. that that was um, what I interpreted from what Fritz Perls was saying. Mm. And certainly this latest round of fear I've had is more related to the fear of dying. Um, because, you know, during the process of having the two surgeries, I was taken down into the land of, uh, general anesthesia, which is <laughs> the next thing to dying. And yeah, and some people do die of the anesthesia that's given to them. So, um, this latest round has been about that fear of disappearing, fear of going mm. down, fear of not being able to move, being helpless, that kind of thing. And as I've gotten more comfortable in exploring that, uh, it's, you know, it seems like a, a very natural adaptation to life at age 78, because I want to be more particular about focusing my awareness. Uh, yeah. Had I been a little bit more present, this whole thing might not have happened. But I was, while I was squatting down, I was also busily trying to open my pool cover at the same time and kind of in an awkward position. And so, uh, you know, more mindfully, I probably would have opened my pool cover just fine. But on that particular day, I wasn't paying attention and my foot slipped. And so yeah. that's um, that's a, a good adaptation to, I think, more functional awareness. Does that mm -hmm. have to be accompanied by fear? Well, maybe in the beginning, but I don't want to have to rely on fear to drive my uh, expansions of awareness. Yes. Well, for that too, um, the risk for you right now is sarcopenia, which is, you know, loss of movement and muscle mass and being able to regain that. That's really the, the big threat here. Um, yes. Because, you know, being not being able to move for that long, it's amazing how fast that muscle mass goes away. And I know Vivian some time ago 
it's been a couple of years now. We were down in Mexico and we've never had problems in Mexico before. And we're at a really high end resort. She ate some sort of seafood. And that's the only thing we can match it to. But I had the same stuff. But anyway, she got this weird virus and she lost control over the left side of her body for a little while. And it she couldn't raise her arm. She couldn't do yoga. Mm. And she lost an enormous amount of muscle mass on one side of her body because she had to overcompensate for it. It was terrifying for it because she's like, am I ever going to get this back? And she ended up doing all sorts of treatments, HBOT and that kind of thing. So it's just, um, uh, and for you right now, I was just looking it up. I'm like, okay, what are all the treatments? And some of it is, you know, just resistance training, which is hard for you to do right now. No, um, I, I go to the gym. I go to the gym three days a week for resistance training. So I've been Even doing now. That. Oh, yeah, I got back on. My, I've been doing it for the last 12 years, three days a week. And as soon as I could get out of the house, that's the first yeah. place I started going. Even Katie would have that's to great. take me down. Uh, but I do a good, vigorous, mostly upper body workout. But you're absolutely yep. right. I When I came out of the hospital, I looked down at my legs and they didn't look like my legs. You know, they looked mm -hmm. like... Uh, they were much skinnier. I've gained yeah. some weight back now, but I lost a lot of weight. I looked very scrawny for the first few weeks I was uh, mm -hmm. back. But fortunately, my magnificent mate is very committed to my well-being and made me all yeah. sorts of good things over the past few months that have uh, filled me out a little bit. Yeah, that's great. There's also some fantastic peptides that help with uh, muscle growth and mass, which are not HGH, you know, they're not as risky uh, physically. So um, I got a couple other comments here, which as I'm listening to you talk about death versus going crazy. Um, you know, when I went through my cancer scare, that really scared the death fear out of me. You know, I really had to live with the fact that it probably could and would happen and I walked walked around like a walking statistic for quite some time. And then, of course, there for the first five years, you're like, well, is it going to come back? Is it going to come back? Because the second time, at least with colorectal cancer, it ain't good. You know, there's only mm -hmm. a few cancers that are as bad in terms of their aggression if they're if they come back and get you. Um, so I'm a lot more afraid of going crazy and losing control than I am of death, at least for now. And um, I'm going to tell you something that almost no one knows. So here we go. My public uh, declaration. I had something happen a couple months ago, and it was the most inopportune time. But I've shared this with before with you before. I cannot have THC. I literally go nuts and I go into a pure state of hell. And um, there was someone who I, I worked with who is saying, and and I'm a good sleeper, but once in a while I don't, especially if I have a lot going on, I'm really wound up and I'm about to travel or I'm traveling. So they said, oh, you got to get these CBD gummies and uh, they'll just knock you out and help you go to sleep. So I just took the link, I ordered them and I got them. And the night before I was going to Tony Robbins house to speak, which was about four months ago now, I just decided to tear off half of these things and I ate one, you know, because we were going to be getting up at like five in the morning to catch a flight. And all once I'm like really drowsy and I'm just fine. But I start getting the boop, 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 blip, blip. 
And I decided, well, whatever's going on, I'm just going to go to sleep. But then I woke up a little while later having panic attacks. And it's clear that whatever this was clearly had THC in it. And I later found out it was a hundred milligram THC gummy, which is (laughs) a lot. And I took half. But pretty soon, like I'm losing my mind and forgetting who I am. And I became like. I remember licking the linoleum at my grandmother's house when I was crawling and I've never remembered that before. And all once I started going backwards, like pre-birth um, became fundamental particles of the universe. I remember seeing what I thought were like atoms rolling around. And then I just, dis- dis- I mean, it was a total death experience. Uh, but when I popped out of that, that was the pleasant part. All once I thought I was going to die. And then I was becoming suicidal and murderous at the same time like dark energies were telling me the only way out of this is you're gonna have to go out and kill people i mean it was that kind of danger and i was i woke up vivian i'm like just and i had been going upstairs taking cold showers doing push-ups jumping up and down doing jumping jacks just trying to stay in my body finally i woke her up and i said just talk to me talk to me keep me conscious keep me awake here's what happened and and i'm rising out of the cycle of hell and um, eventually I was like, I got to get out of here because I was going to be a danger. I said, call the cops and call an ambulance. I'm going nuts. And I was and in between those severe panic attacks. She's biting me to keep me conscious and awake until they finally arrived. And I said, put handcuffs on me. You know, like I locked wow. myself in a bedroom. I mean, it was bad. So they ended up taking me to the hospital, gave me some lorazepam. And uh, two hours later, I'm on a flight. The next morning, I'm speaking at Tony Robbins. Yeah, you know, yes, it was good like, old not, Oh my god! So uh, I did. The good news is, I was fine. I've been fine since. Like when that happened to me when I was 18, I was having panic attacks for years, having flashbacks, and at least this time, I was more mentally prepared for what I didn't know then. What happened to me? Now I know it was you know just clearly some sort of a reaction, but. Uh, the point of all that is, is I've basically experienced what I think is going completely crazy, insane and losing control and drifting out of a state of consciously knowing who I am and having an identity. And then I know now what it's like when you see crazy people walking down the street, bobbing up and down and moving a certain way. It's what I remember doing is it's sort of like I have to follow a pattern because if I fall out of that pattern something horrible is going to happen and something's going to die or I'm going to die or I'm going to be stuck here forever. It was that thought process. And then it would start again. And my brain was telling me I've been looping in the same place for all eternity. And I'm always going to be stuck here, except I'm going to be conscious while it happens. And it was just hell. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, (laughs) yeah, me too. I, I don't ever want to remember that again, but it, it's happened like I've accidentally been gotten a contact high before from being in a room full of weed and I start having bad thoughts. So I'm triggered really, really quickly and easily. Yeah. Well, with something like that, that's a clear, you know, allergen. Mm-hmm. The number one, the number one strategy is avoidance, of course. That's that's yeah. number one. For the rest um, of my life, I don't need to be remembered <laughs> again. <laughs> no, you know, William James said the schizophrenic is drowning in the same water that the mystic is swimming in. Yeah. You know, that if you 
kind of learn to go with that mm. dissolution into space. Um, you know, sometimes you can get through that organically, but it sounds like, see, there are basically only a couple of big issues that drive people. One of them is control. And mm -hmm. control is a very big thing. Because if you think about it, what was your first training on this planet with control? It was toilet training. And that's yeah. hardly any fun for anybody. And if you're in a crazy family. I think not family, being naughty, but yeah, that'll be it. I think I was probably trained to not be naughty before I was actually toilet trained and <laughs> conscious of it. But yeah. Yeah. So um, tra uh, learning to control is such a big thing that later on in life, a lot of people say there are two big issues. One is approval and the other is control. In other words, uh, that way down inside ourselves, a lot of our early learning about control affects us for the rest of our life. And so does our early, early learning about how to get approval. You know, so one person, um, like my trainer, for example, he got abandoned when he was, he and his brother got abandoned when he was uh, a teenager, 11 years old. His father left him and his brother with his sister and said, I'll be right back. And turned out it was 11 years later because where he was going was to prison. And so, um, but one of the brothers became a trainer, successful uh, person, has many well-known clients such as myself. And his brother is had the same experience. And he went in the direction of kind of becoming a, a vagrant or homeless person. Uh, you know, the kind of person that you see on the street and um, drugs and that kind of thing. So it's a real mystery about how we go in different directions there. You know, like my brother yeah. and I responded to a similar situation, our father dying in two totally different ways. You know, my brother launched himself into mechanical things and model mm -hmm. airplanes and fixing cars and yeah. he spent his whole life fixing things in one, but they had to be mechanical things. I went mm. in the other direction of fixing humans, humans, and uh, with yeah. their emotions and things like that. And my wow. brother, till the end of his life, basically made fun of that sort of thing. Uh -huh. You know, e even though I had bestsellers and Oprah and multimillionaire and all that kind of stuff, uh, he thought that was just ridiculous. The kind yeah. of he thought I was getting away with some kind of scam. Yeah, you charlatan. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, sleight of hand magician. Uh-huh. But what everybody can do with that is right now look around your life and say, how am I blocking myself because I'm afraid of losing control? And how am I blocking myself because I'm afraid of disappearing or dying mm -hmm. or uh, mm -hmm. dissolving? Um, those are two big fundamental things. See, also, when you get into genius, there are a couple of specific fears that really block people. Number one is that fear that I don't deserve it, that I'm fundamentally unlovable, yeah. or I don't deserve to be here, or I don't deserve to have the good things of life. I was had a really interesting conversation the other day. One of the guys that was helping me with my physical therapy 
I struck up a conversation with him. Um, he has tattoos. He's a Hispanic guy, very stocky guy. And if you looked at him out on the street, you'd say, well, there's a gangbanger, or that, that sort of person uh-huh. with all the tattoos and everything. So here he was doing physical therapy, and I struck up a conversation because he was studying philosophy at the local college, and he asked me what my degree was in. And I said, psychology. Uh, but he said, do you know anything about psych- uh, philosophy? I <laughs> said, a little bit. And yeah. he brought up the subject of the Stoics, like Epictetus and yes. uh, Seneca and people like that. Well, that was very fascinating to me because, you know, suddenly he didn't look like a gangbanger anymore. Suddenly now he's talking to me about Epictetus, you know? Well, here, listen yeah. to this. He grew up in a family where basically everybody was a criminal and everybody had had oh. this disadvantaged past and they were, you know, had come across the border illegally. And so they had all of these strikes against them. But listen to what this guy did. Oh, I forgot yep. to tell you, I invited him over to have a cup of coffee uh, after uh-huh. I got out of the thing. I said, come by sometime and I'll give you one of my books and then scribe it for you and we can talk about philosophy. So he came over for coffee last week and he told me that when he was 15, he'd already been busted a few times and gotten tattoos and everything like everybody else in his family. And one day he had a out of nowhere realization. He said, wait a minute. Everybody here has agreed on the same sort of stuff. We all agree that we have to live in poverty and we have to make our money by ripping other people off. He said, what if we just put that in a bubble and put that behind us and then went out now and decided what we wanted to make of our lives. Wow. Guess what everybody's reaction was? Oh, no. no. Yeah, yeah. They, they basically drummed him out of the family. and But he didn't let that stop him. He went to college. He's working his way through college. He's, you know, got loans up the kazoo and everything like that. But he's mm. plugging right through. And he was doing this internship and uh, learning physical therapy. Well, anyway, I was so blown away by that, that to me, if you're going to make a museum, you ought to make a museum of people like that, that mm-hmm. took the crap that life handed them, you know, and transformed it into something magnificent. So uh, anyway, I was just uh, so impressed by that, that I wanted to share it with you. Mm, yeah. Well, it's, it, it goes to show like when you have, two identical twins and they wouldn't even have to be separated from birth have completely different outcomes because each one of them um interpret what something means differently you know it's a, one of my favorite tony robbins quotes is we're meaning making machines and the meaning we give something gives us seemingly justification for our evil deeds or bad actions or justification yeah. for taking stealing hurting harming inflicting pain and um someone else would completely interpret it you know because it's framed differently you know it's it's like and um i would assume that if you do some deep work and say you know what's the first memory you have or what's the moment when xyz happened and it's like i remember exactly why i decided you know or what what was that feeling you had there's um 
I just finished doing some interesting work. Um, find the book. Here it is. Um, I don't know if you know Dr. Lise Janelle. No. Um, she was, I met her at TLC. She has this book called Conversation with the Heart. And uh, we actually worked with her to help her with some of her branding. And she has this, this process that it's going to sound like a big claim, but I, she did it with me. She did it with Zach. She did it with Vivian. And I've watched her do this. She just asks you a few questions and they're deep feeling questions. And ultimately it's like, when's the first time you remember that happening? You know, what did that mean to you? Blah, 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 blah. And it's as though you've done some deep, deep psychedelic work without the psychedelics and without the risk. Mm-hmm. And she very frequently creates some profound shifts in behavior, consciousness, awareness, and perception with a single session, which could take years of therapy to unravel and undo. It's it's quite profound. Mm-hmm. And some of her stuff is uh, derived. She partners with uh, John Martini. Um, so she's got like a whole series of different tools she's she's put together. But um, after spending a few days with her, um, I, I found it profoundly useful. And a couple of members of my team worked with her, too, because we we're trying to like figure out like what's going on here. What's this mean? And um, I, I I found it to be really freeing and powerful. And it's something you can do yourself. You know, you don't have to be therapized to get some pretty mm-hmm. profound shifts. So um, that's a shameless plug for her. Um, but I'm curious through your lens, you know, when you run into these challenges and if you look back in time at where you've been able to pattern and interrupt yourself, create a process or a system to stop anxiety and fear. And we haven't even really talked about blocking genius. I have my story of transformation I want to share with you. But can you think back to any particular tools, techniques, resources other than the classic meditate, sleep well, that have been like, boom for you? Yes. Well, I'm after things that people can do for themselves in 10 seconds, something you really... Yeah. In my experience, when I work with anxious people or people who are scared, the first big challenge is to help them locate it in their body. Because as you well know, the human mind can fragment like crazy and, you know, thoughts are bouncing off the walls. Sophocles, the great Greek playwright said, when you're scared, everything rustles. So, you know, you're Mm -hmm. scared and everything out there looks like it's scary. And you can kind of see how that evolved over the millions of years because, you know, when an animal gets scared, it only has a few strategies. Lee, run like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Fight back. Flight flight or fear. Yeah, flight or fight. Freeze or faint. Uh Four Fs. Fight, flee, freeze or faint. Um, My cat yesterday... uh, we gave her a bath, which she doesn't like, but she has to have <laughs> once a month. And uh, so she went and hid in the back room afterwards. She wasn't going to have anything to do with anybody. So that's one that could be called the freeze or faint strategy where you kind of yeah. go down <laughs> deeply into yourself. Um, 
But uh, there were times during her bath where she, you know, uh, yeah. did, a, uh-huh. did a little bit of fighting too. But think about which of those modalities you uh-huh. tend to do when you're scared. Do you kind of make mm-hmm. a snappy remark or say something sarcastic? Yeah. That that would be in the fight mode. Or mm-hmm. do you pull back and hide a little bit and swallow whatever you're thinking or feeling? That would be the <laughs> light mode. Or some mm-hmm. people, um, when you say freeze or faint, it's not necessarily fainting, keeling over. It's just like yeah. spacing out and getting a sudden urge to watch an old Star Trek episode or something like yeah. that, you know, just yeah. to kind of get out. But see, what you got to do with fear is feel it in your body. That's number one, mm-hmm. is to get down into your body. Because mm-hmm. the moment you locate it, it becomes no longer an amorphous fragmented thing you say oh i've got a tight belly or oh i've got a bunch of roiling feelings in my belly or oh i've got kind of a escalating feeling of panic in my chest but as soon as i can help people get down into their bodies everything works a lot differently Uh, i had a physician call me a while back a fellow that i'd known in graduate school and i'd kind of lost touch with him but he called me having a panic attack, actually. And as I was talking to him on the phone, finally, what did it was when I was able to say, you know, and exactly where are you feeling that in your body, right? Yes. Now? And finally, he got down to the place where he could name, okay, I've got this very tight feeling in my chest, and I've got a very uh, butterflyish feeling, like a bunch of dancing butterflies in my belly. And so when you're able to come down into the physical sensations of fear, that's often the first step. Also, it's important as soon as you can to name your fear. You know, is it a fear of because you don't deserve to be here, a feeling of I I don't deserve Mm -hmm. to be playing the game that I'm playing? Or is it a fear of um I don't have confidence in my talent, or I don't have confidence. I don't deserve to shine in this world. I'm not good enough. So lots and lots of people have Mm -hmm. a fear that can be named. And in the big leap, I give you some of them, like that fear of being fundamentally flawed and the fear of outshining. Some of them, you'll have to kind of go down into it yourself and say, what am I exactly afraid of? Because everybody's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We share a lot of common things, but so it's between us and our bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're often trying to think about a solution to fear, but it's not in the realm of what you can think about, mm-hmm. because if you could think about it, you would have already have figured it out. And so what happens is just your mind spins and go off, goes off into fra- fragments and fractals. And so... To take that dazzling, fragmented quality out of fear, it's bringing it down into your body. Yeah. Okay. And naming it, I think being able to give it a causation and an association and knowing when the first time is, you know, all that. That's, uh, that's you know, very similar to Lee's process as well. That... Um, um, that's so good. So let me share. Um, 
let me share something that just happened and I'll I'll set this up um where I had a big win this weekend but leading up to it was terrifying. So if you go back about 6 7 years ago the reason I sold my last business the one that was you everywhere now with all the books and speaking and all that is one day I just woke up and I didn't want to be a dancing bear, be on the road so much. I felt that like it was killing me, not just my body, but my soul. It was eating me alive. And um, I didn't want to do another webinar, cold traffic. or And I felt very, very violated by the California government. It's super, super business hostile to have yeah. employees, especially if they're contractors, because Basically, California said, you can't have contractors anymore. Everyone's an employee. It, it was just, and I just was like, you know what? I'd rather just start the whole thing on fire. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a slave to an evil system that steals from me. And that's the way it felt. That may or may not be healthy thinking, but that's what my feeling experience was. And I wasn't going to deny what it was doing to my body and my, and my brain. And I just needed a break anyway. I'd been working my ass off for so damn long. But transitioning was hard. And one of the things I told myself is I'd never do another information product again because it's just hard. You know, the illusion is, oh, it's so nice to have that passive income coming in. There's nothing passive about it. <laughs> you know, it's hard. Um, so um, what happened though, and I know, I know that one of, the most powerful tools that I have on myself is a risk of reputation, fear of losing reputation. But also, um, it's hard for me to say no to people I love. So I got a call. I'll just use the names because she won't mind that I'm sharing this with uh, from JJ Virgin. And she said, I really want you to come and teach AI to my Mindshare event, which is her big mastermind. There were going to be 400 people there. And there are a lot of them are like integrative doctors and that kind of thing. And, you know, she's like, what are you going to sell? And I wasn't going to be able to really promote or market my big ticket thing. You know, it's really high end and expensive with this audience. And I thought, against my better judgment, we created an information product. So it's basically AI for healthcare um, businesses. And, um, so I went to work and created this whole presentation and a demo. And, you know, the price of this thing is fairly high. It's $7,500. But I was going to be like, I'm not going to do a cheap thing. I got to do something that's really good that I feel good about. And that's usually like significantly higher than a typical information product. So, and I had a couple speaking opportunities. And the first two were ones where you couldn't have an offer. It was pure teaching. And the third I could pitch but I only had 30 minutes and I, you know, the first two went really well. Everyone's like so happy, so excited. And I started doing a couple little, uh, I did a little workshop for lunch and during a breakout and I got people really enrolled and interested. But finally I made my pitch and it was crickets, no sales. And I'm like, just to get here, like by the time I paid, to um, my team and I built out this product and took, I mean, I did it at the expense of taking work and um, some opportunities. 
it cost me at least 50 grand in hard and probably $150,000 in missed opportunities, at least. Okay. Yeah. So I'm out a hard 50, if not 200. And I'm like, oh. So, of course, I go and, I, and Vivian's with me. And I'm like, this is the first time I've failed this hard after being in this business so long. So, <laughs> um, the good news was I had created a little WhatsApp group from Stage saying, hey, I'll give you all my tools that I've talked about here. And what I started doing is inviting people to come for breakfast at 7.30 in the morning before the doors opened. And then during lunch, I just do little ask me anything hot seats. And I had a TV monitor so I could demonstrate. And at the end, I'd say, well, this is what it's like to work together in this product. And all once we had like eight sales and then 15 and then, you know, 16 and then... What we did is a lot of people, their their objection was, well, I can't start right now. I'm booked and busy with my practice until the first of the year. So I was like, well, we'll just do a second cohort and you get both for the same price, which wasn't going to be anything anyway, because they were going to be promoting us again. And bam, bam, bam. We wound up with lots of sales, plus some people converted into our other things. Make a long story short, this is a huge it was a huge win multiple six figures right already and it'll push way beyond that soon but more importantly on the last night they do a big fundraising auction and i they auctioned me off to spend a day and all that money went to a nonprofit and we raised a hundred thousand dollars um for this nonprofit so it was one of her i think it was her biggest nonprofit collection of revenue mm. so i walked away feeling first of all terrified of getting into something that i had learned to hate and stayed away <laughs> from and then failed hard to me visibly um to getting back and saying i'm not gonna quit i'm not gonna uh allow it to hurt my reputation or the relationship with someone i love so much and I can't let myself down. So the the bad thing was I didn't get a lot of sleep. The good news was we turned this thing around and it was like Lazarus from the grave. And Ugh. all of my conscious fears became tools to overcome some of my most feared weaknesses. And, and I know consciously, like in my dreams, I feign or faint. I disappear. Mm. But when I met one-on-one, -on -one, I fight if I'm in a group um my reaction is is flight I'll just stop in place and I'm like don't look at me don't look at me don't look at me I don't want to be that one so I know in a crowd I'd be a coward if I'm cornered I fight um in my dreams I faint or or freeze you know and um in you this one in this real life I couldn't do any of them Wow, that's a great story, though. It has so many um, elements to it. But I particularly like that you kind of bottomed out at the beginning and then said, no, wait a minute, mm. I'm not going to stop here. Because uh, you could have turned around and gone home and just said, you know. Uh, but it's really interesting, too, because the whole thing was based on a uh, violating a personal agreement you'd made with yourself. Yeah. You know? 
because you'd made that strong declaration, no more information products. And yeah. suddenly, okay, I'll just grab one more, you know? And uh, you mentioned dancing bear. It's really, you know, the best definition uh, or the best comment on fame I've ever heard is that fame is like dancing with a bear. At first you say, wow, this is fantastic. I'm dancing yeah. with a bear. And then after a while, you want to stop dancing, but the bear doesn't want to stop dancing. You know, you you have to dance as long as the bear wants to dance. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's, uh, you probably learned that one the hard way. Yeah, well, that and um, my definition of the dancing bear, because the the industry one is, um, if you're the dancing bear, in other words, when you're not dancing on stage, you're not making any money. And to, but once you are a dancing bear, um, there's something very attractive about it. Like this year I opted and accepted going on the road because I hit, I was at the right place, at the right time with this AI message. And so many big names reached out to me and said, will you come speak to my audience? And, you know, I, it's hard to say no to Tony Robbins or Peter Diamandis or Dave Asprey. And because it's such a powerful stage and I understand why rock stars become addicts and um, mm -hmm. because that love and that um, outpouring is support. And uh, but it's also that. When you start doing that, you know, if you're not dancing, you ain't earning. And I give up a lot of my body, my relationship and my income time to go speak. And it really costs me money against earnings to go speak, even though it does power a gigantic flywheel that does spin off residual. Yeah. But um and and you know that. I mean, you had to do it back before there was the internet for a long time. I did for a little while, but yeah. It it's well, in in the old days, uh or the really old days, when I first started, it was put all your books in the trunk of your car and go out and hit little radio stations and things like that. You know, it was, mm -hmm. and, and Wayne Dyer was out doing the same thing. He would be out there in some little radio station in Nebraska or someplace, you know, with his books in the trunk of his car and he'd speak on the radio and then go into town. I and know his is books. my favorite story. Of yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did the same thing. I had my girlfriend and my VW bus, my camper bus, and I'd load a couple of boxes of my books and we'd go out and, turn a vacation into a, a road tour. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd hit every little uh, TV station or newspaper along the way. We're drifting away from our central subject of fear, though. I want to say a few more things to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, sure. Uh, when I was talking about get down in your body, that's the yeah. number one thing I want everybody to get out of this, because mm -hmm. you'll never solve fear up in your head. You solve it by being with it down in your body and learning how to mm -hmm. not hold it separate from yourself. Because if you try to hold it separate from yourself and pretend it's something else, it hangs on and proliferates. But if you accept it as part of yourself and what something your body is doing, then 
it takes the sting out of it and allows you to be in more of a friendly relationship with it. So my big yeah. message this year is make friends with your fear. Get friendly <laughs> with it. Talk to it. Name yeah. it. Feel it. Um, speak about it. And uh, that um, hopefully will keep less of it out of your body and more of it into your creative space. Yeah. No, that's that. Um, I know when I when I hear that, I that's precisely where I went with all of this. So getting back to what happened, like all the anxiety I was experiencing, my best mechanism for getting connected with and resolving the anxiety is just laying down and meditating. I, I go into a semi-conscious state. Um, it's like right before you fall asleep kind of a state. And that's when I can let all that go. And yeah, um, spread out into space, kind of. Yes. Say, uh, pardon me, Mike, I'm going to have to let my cat out here. So no. Um, how it. about uh, pausing for a moment? She's uh, no problem. Got bathroom on her mind. So let's uh, bring this ship home and uh, let's give folks the step by step if we can. I like ending with some action steps on how to um, let this go. And uh, my interpretation of what I've heard is really just finding out where in the body you feel it and, you know, take us through the process. First of all, just make friends with fear because fear has been around a lot longer than we have. Long mm. before there was Homo sapiens, there were other folks like us. They were shorter and had different shaped heads and things like that, but they were enough like us that uh, they're in our history. And you can imagine the fear that those people had. And oh. millions of years ago, I mean, it was just a daily confrontation with adversity and survival. And mm -hmm. to this day, we have evolved so that we have a lot more nerve endings for pain and adversity in our body than we do for pleasure and exaltation and ecstasy and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, but um, so make it your friend. Understand that it's it's part of life. And actually, I think that when you really allow yourself to feel it and be with it and accept it and love it, it's a great teacher because it will tell you also where your upper limits are and where you need to break through and express more genius. Mm -hmm. So think of fear instead of something scary and bad. Think of it as a signpost to your genius. Just kind of a little wink to let you know that you're evolving and the job is to go ahead and breathe through your fear and stay on track with what you feel your genius to be. Oh. Yeah, I love that. Um, my my version that I use myself and I've used now for other people is find a way to reinterpret that and reframe what it means to you and also find out what your greatest fear of loss is and turn it into your greatest source of power. So mm -hmm. in my case, it's loss of identity. It's loss of intimacy. In a way, at its rawest, rudest level, it's fear of banishment and fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. um, and I lean into that and I say, how can I find my power in this deepest moment 
And then how can I create and innovate my way out of it? Because those are my superpowers. That's my unique ability. And also for me, my zone of genius. Um, And I know that if I turn my brain on and um, I sleep solve. So I create an intention before I go to bed and I, and I dream into how can I create a dream solution and wake up with the answer that overcomes this. And my subconscious goes to work and I dream about it and um, how I turn that into the power. And I made this really okay. Um, because again, my, my pain that I had with the info product and creating and getting back in this game was, um, uh, to spend my time creating something. And then I solve things by performing the solution. So I built a story that would excite me and I knew it excite an audience to get them to see a bigger, brighter, better future, a better life for themselves with me as their guide, not as their savior, but as a partner. And, um, and it was hard. It took me a long time up until 48 hours before I walked on stage. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do or what I was going to say, but I let the pressure, um, you know, it was a pressure box. And, and I know when I go back over 20 years plus now, that's what I've been able to do every time. And just know that it always works out and it's always going to be fine. And when you listen and innovate and spend your time in the muck, I was talking to a young entrepreneur right before we got on today who I've been mentoring, who's in his 20s. And I said, you got to put your fingers in the pig manure. (laughs) You got to be willing to get really stinky fingers. And, um, And it's in the dirt. It's in the pain. It's in the stink that the solutions show up. So um, that's interesting that you should say that one of my favorite quotes from Ben Hogan, the great golfer, as you know, I'm an aspiring golfer. And, yes. uh, and they were always asking Ben Hogan what his secret was. And he said, the secrets in the dirt, dig it yeah. out like I did. That's right. That's right. I love that. Well, I I think that's a great place to stop and end. So any other last minute thoughts before we wrap this one up? Fear can be your worst enemy, but once you learn to breathe and let it through you, it can be your best friend. Wow. I agree completely. All right. Well, here's where we'll bring it home, which is uh, you've been listening to another episode of The Big Leap with the great Gay Hendricks and the... uh, Always happy to listen to the wisest man he knows, Mr. Gay Hendricks. <laughs> and uh, this is Mike Koenig. So if you know someone who's dealing with some crazy anxiety, some crazy fear, and you think that listening to this or watching it can make a difference, make sure you send a link. And we always appreciate those five stars and those great comments on iTunes or whatever platform you're watching or listening to this is. And Gay, I'll give you the final word. Yes. A lot of people think that F-E-A-R means false evidence appearing real. Uh, And uh, that's not a bad way to look at uh, fear, too, because when you're scared, like Sophocles said, everything rustles. I love it. All right. Well, thanks for another great episode. And thank you for being with us when we get to just uh, 
do what we love to do, which is talking to you and uh, exploring experiences, feelings, and how we can reach our next big league.